in, a, in the middle of a series, and we're calling it Relational Rhythms. And I think we're at week, did it say week eight? If you're painting, I think it was week eight. And uh, this week, we're looking at community. And so what I want to do off the top is I want to read our, uh, our section of scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. Uh, it's in Colossians 3. It'll also be on the screen behind us. I'm just going to read through this. It's about uh, eight verses or so. And I think it's going to just, I'm going to have this in the back of our minds as we, as we unpack things. So let me read this. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, in knowledge in the image of its creator. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, thank you for your word. And I ask this evening that you would strengthen us by your spirit as we look into what this means and into why we'd even need a passage like this. Thank you so much for this church, this family, this body that you are the head of. And we trust you now tonight to lead us and guide us and speak to us so that you soften our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are looking at the idea of community today. And just as a working definition, what I'd like to call community it's where we find like a relational home. So this is, this is this is what I'm thinking about when I hear the, uh, the word community. It's not necessarily a group of friends or it's not necessarily a church, although it could be those things. It's a, we're gonna use a little bit of a wider definition. It's where you, where you call home in a relational sense. So um, that's an important thing to have, but what, what does it mean to have a practice of that? What does it mean to have that be a rhythm in your life? Now, when I think about the idea of community, uh, it's something that kind of is a hard thing to know exactly how to try and go make happen. I don't know if you've noticed this, but how would you go about, I don't know, having a rhythm of community? The things that come to mind originally are things like, I don't know, do I, do I just have to show up to everything? Do I have to make sure I'm really well connected? Like, what do you go do if in a practice of community, what does that look like? It seems a little bit contrived to go, go find deep and meaningful relationships. Go, go, go do that now. Have a rhythm of that. Go try to be, have authentic, heartfelt home. Go. And it's, what, what do I do tomorrow to make that happen more? It's a little bit of elusive. So we end up just kind of showing up to stuff, which is, of course, a really helpful thing towards that. But is that really all that's going on? Is that what having a rhythm of cultivating relation, a relational home for you and for others around you? Is that what it means? So I think that we know instinctively that showing up to things, even being well-connected, is not, is not necessarily a guarantee of us having a relational home. It's not necessarily a guarantee of having community in the deepest of senses. 
I've always found it so ironic that, that the correlation between the level of connectedness that we have as a society and the level of loneliness at the same time. Like, how do you, how do you compute that? There's so many different things we can join and be a part of, and we know, what every, we know what's going on in everybody's lives at all times, or at least the parts that people want us to see. And, uh, and yet, loneliness just seems to be an epidemic. So the, the idea of just being more connected, showing up to more stuff, having more phone numbers, more contacts, it's not really about that, I don't think. So there's something that I think that we do reflexively when we hear the idea of going, let's go have a rhythm of community. Let's go be in community. Let's go have more friends or whatever. There's something that instinctively happens in our heart. And this is what I was thinking about this week as I was preparing. Um, we're painting our house right now. And so I was like, I'm just rolling the house. I'm just thinking about this constantly. I'm like, what does my heart do when I want to feel more connected, when I feel alone, when I want more community? What does my heart instinctively do? And here's what I was, I was just thinking about as I was painting. It's a very helpful practice. If you need to have some deep thoughts, just go paint something. It's really great. And what, uh, what came to mind is this idea of what my heart immediately wants to do. It's a bit of a fancy word, but it wants to pursue collectivism. Now, here's what I mean by collectivism. It's, uh, it's being identified by the group that you're a part of. So I'm like, okay, I'm lonely, I need community, I wanna have a practice of that. Bible says I should be part of a church or should be part of things and have my life be connected with other people and it's supposed to be this relational thing, so what am I gonna do? Oh, and my mind goes to this collectivist mindset, which is, let's find people that are like me and let's build an identity around all being the same, all having the same ideas, the same, I don't know, just being, unified by circumstances or oh, any number of things. I wrote down a couple. There's like external things. There's let's find people that are the same age as me, the same race as me, the same culture, that speak the same language, socioeconomic status. And the idea of like, let's build unity, let's build community through removing external barriers, right? We can just start removing, tearing things down that don't seem like we're unified, or at least like at, at, at first glance. It's like, okay, well, if I'm gonna be unified, I need to find people that are just more like me and look like me, talk like me, act like me, like the same things I do. And maybe after that, I'll wind up with more community and more unity. Another thing I do is uh, when it comes to pursuing collectivism is trying to find people that have the same beliefs as me, that think the same things as me. So of course we don't wanna to get too far down the road of like, okay, well our church is called every nation. So we can't just start you know, subdividing us into all these different races and cultures and stuff. We wanna be unified, heaven's gonna be a diverse place, but maybe we could all think the exact same way. Maybe we could all have the same beliefs and we, we instead of decreasing barriers, we just start increasing the, the commonality between us all. Hey, we all think this way and we all believe these things and we all have this in common. And I think what happens in both of those cases is that it contributes to further and further fragmentation, further and further isolation. If we wanna have unity built on sameness, well, we just keep having to subdivide, you know, into smaller and smaller camps, and then we'll wind up with some kind of unity, but it isn't the unity that I don't think that Colossians is talking about here. Or if we all have to think the same things, we can just keep fragmenting and dividing. And this is kind of the Protestant church in lots of ways, where if we're unified around what we think and all believe the same stuff, well, we're going to divide pretty darn quick. And we're going to wind up with thousands of denominations in no time. That's exactly what happened. So are we unifying around the fancy word would be homogeneity, same type, 
homogeneity, same type? Like, are we, are we all rallying around that? Is that where unity's built? Or is it on something a lot deeper? So the problem with collectivism, I think, is that people are always wondering if they're loved for exactly who they are. So if you walk into a, a, a community that's just built on sameness or all thinking the same things, there's a very instinctive thought that comes up. It's like, do I have to, how much do I have to change to be a part of this? Am I even allowed here? There's a, there's a part of me that wants to be loved and accepted for exactly who I am, but is this thing built on homogeneity? How much do I have to change to be here? It's a, it's a logical question to ask in a collectivist way of building community. So here's the tension, I think, is that we want to belong, but we also want to be ourselves somehow. We want to belong to something. We want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. But we also know that there's something about us that's like, do I have to, how much do I have to change or be like the people around me in order to feel as though I belong here and to feel as though that I'm in community? It's a good tension. So I don't think collectivism is true community and belonging. I think it's just all deciding on the same things and you kick out the people that are a little different than you and you're not doing it on purpose. It just kind of happens when we're building it around sameness. But here's the problem is that individualism really isn't the answer. All individualism can do is just smash down collectivist stuff. Doesn't this, isn't this just what happens? I feel like... Um, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is what happens is you go... We have this collectivist culture that's all built on sameness, which the church has been like accused of a lot. You know, hey, you guys all just think the same stuff. You're not really all that inclusive. And then an individualistic culture comes along and goes, oh, that's, that's a system that's oppressive and excludes people. And I just think about, you know, a conversation like um, uh, the generation that was before us, I don't know, we'll call them the boomer generation. I picture like, even in this church, I picture... Uh, like a craftsman building these like amazing beams. You know, some Mennonite man that was born in Paraguay probably has a long story. And uh, that was for you, Oliver. And um, just has pride in his workmanship and is building something, you know? And then individualistic culture comes along and just goes, yeah, you built something, but like, is the, did you love anybody with it? Like, am I allowed to belong here or did we just build a building? And there's this massive clash between, look what we've created that we all can believe the same things and worship the same God and be in the same building and look how beautiful it all is. And then individualistic culture comes along and goes, oh, you guys are just a social club that doesn't let anybody in. So what are we gonna do? What is, what is true community? Certainly is it all showing up to the same building, but isn't individualism the answer? So I, uh, I was driving down the street and uh, on the side of Scotiabank, there was a poster, and it said, oh, I don't want to misquote it. <clears throat> it said this, when I belong, I can truly be myself. And I, like, I, I have to drive by it every day. So when I, when I belong, I can truly be myself. That, I've been thinking about that poster for like weeks now as I drive by. When I belong. I can be myself. Listen to the progression of that. Basically, the translation is, I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it for weeks. The translation is, um, when someone includes me, it will be easier to feel included. 
And I'm just so annoyed at this marketing guy from Scotiabank because he's just like, what is, the, what is the way we can say nothing? <laughs> and like, it's impossible to disagree with this statement. When somebody works hard at including me, I will feel more included. And I would just want to look at that marketing and be like, duh. <laughs> like, yeah, but what, you didn't say anything. You didn't, you didn't give me a way to know how to belong. You just told me I should be hope to belong one day. And then also like hope that somebody else makes it, like who's gonna do the hard work of including you? Who's gonna, who's gonna do the work of including you? Because if you ever try to include someone in something that isn't like you, it's a ton of work. It's a ton of work to include someone that isn't like you. So I'm always like, you know, uh, in, um, thinking about that poster, it's, uh, you know, who's gonna, who's gonna work hard at including you? The people who are also hoping that you work hard to include them? Like it's, who's gonna go first at doing the hard part of inclusion? So this is, what, this is what I think happens is a, is a collectivist mindset goes, I wrote it down. A collectivist mindset says, says, you bend. You bend. It's your fault that you don't belong. That's what the collectivist culture does. Maybe we could be guilty of that of all sitting here in the same building. Be like, everybody out there, if you just believed the same stuff, if you just did a couple of things, you'd belong no problem. You bend. You bend over backwards to make it into this room. The individualistic culture says, no, you bend. It's your fault that I don't belong. You don't, you're not making it very easy to get in there. I'm not even sure I'm going to be loved. How much of myself do I have to betray before you'll love me? Valid point. So we wind up with this stalemate. Sorry for the long intro, but I really care about this because what are we going to do about this? we got a culture screaming, when I belong, I can be myself. It's like the gospel of our culture, and it breaks my heart that we have a culture hoping to belong and having no guidance on how to do that, where to go next, longing to be themselves, longing to be known and loved, hoping, hoping someone will bend and cater to include them. It breaks my heart. So who's going to give? The collectivists or the individualists? Who's going to give first? Who's going to break? Well, the scripture that we read today tells us why we should bend. Why we should bend. Then hopefully by the end of it, we'll all be fighting for the privilege of doing it first. That's my hope. But this scripture tells us why. So let's work through it. Starting in verse 9. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. That's a profound sentence. So what's happening is, uh, in, this, in, this, in this passage, uh, Paul is saying, you are being renewed into your original image. When, when humanity sinned, it, we were originally created in the image of God, then when we sinned, we stopped being in that image, but through salvation and through progressive discipleship, we become more and more renewed in that original image. We say we're becoming more and more Christ-like, and Christ is the image of God in perfection. We were that way. We were the image of God created, but we deviated from that. But as we become more Christ-like and as we let ourselves be disciples, we become more and more like him, which is to say we're reclaiming this original image of you and I, how we were supposed to be created. 
That's pretty great. So it continues. Uh, well, so the, the, the question makes me ask, what is this image? We're being renewed in the image of God. What does that even mean? Keeps going. Verse 12, skip ahead to verse 12. Therefore, okay, so we're being renewed in the image of God. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. This is what you're to look like. That clothing is, is, a, is a job description. It's who you are. It's your outward appearance. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So, stands to reason. These, th- these attributes are what Christ looks like. When he was here on earth, this is what he looked like. He looked like those things. This is what the image of God made manifest by a man and also us looks like. And have you noticed all of these different attributes? They're all relational practices. You can't do any of these things. It's not like if you're the image of God, you're going to be excellent and handsome and smart and I don't know. No, it's all relational stuff, compassionate to others, kind to others, humble, so you can be a relationship, gentle, patient. These are entirely relational descriptors. So the image of Christ on earth, manifested by you and I, as we're Christ-like, as we're discipled, as we're refined and chiseled, looks like a relational grace. That's what it looks like. The implication here is that relational discord, as far as it depends on you, I suppose, is, the deg- is, is, a, is a dramatic indication of your misalignment with the image of God. So discord, fragmentation, uh, elitism, anything that breaks relationship would be a betrayal of that original image, what we're called to reflect, who we're called to reflect. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, about being image bearers of God. You know what's funny is that God in the, in the Hebrew, we're called idols, Idols are just reflections. They're just, they're just like uh, uh, images of God. We use the word idol so negatively because God doesn't say have other idols, like worship him. But the term that we're used for is like little images of God on earth, all of us. God's like, Here's, here, here, these are my images. Isn't that neat? That's a big job description. Go represent God. And here's what it looks like. Humbleness, kindness, patience, all these things. All relational things. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Bear with each other. And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, a vivid call to exemplifying the fullness of who Christ was through your own life. Like even forgiveness. I I feel very struck by the idea that we're supposed to forgive as the Lord forgave. Have you noticed how he forgave us? That was a bumpy scenario involving crosses and torture and death and... Forgive as, as? Like this, the same kind of forgiveness? Like absorb other people's sin and don't hold it against them? Wow. Even the costly elements. Verse 14. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is a complicated sentence in the Greek. Basically what it means, the best that they can translate it, is that, Mutual love in this church, in Colossae, mutual love is what's going to bring that group to perfection. Mutual love looks like all the other things we talked about, but above all those things, have a mutual love for each other, and you're going you're to be a perfect description, image-bearing people to the world of who I am. 
It's a pretty big call. So every single one of these commands is a generous, often costly, bending towards the another. Love, patience, like it's, there's a bending that takes place, an initiation of going first to, to cater and just go lower and be the first. This is, this is what we see Jesus doing all the time, is we see him being the, the first to be humble, the first to, to go low, the first to initiate relationship, the first to do the costly thing that pioneers connection and wholeness and beauty and peace and all these things. And we're called to do that. This is, this is our call as the church. So a mutual love unto perfect community, okay? We have to have a mutual love that is unto a perfect community. Here's, what, here's kind of what I want to argue for today. I think it requires constant change, constant change for all of us. Parents, are you the same person that you were when your kids were born? Say no. You are a super different person. Am I right, Jess? You're a super different person, even three years in. Dramatic change. But of course, we change for love's sake. And the needs of the people you're loving change. And they're different every day, it seems. And you're, it would be absurd to go, I'm done changing for you, three-year-old. I'm done. I've grown enough. You need to do the changing now. You bend. <laughs> you bend. I've bent enough. It's absurd. Love doesn't do that. Love constantly changes over and over and over and over again. Now, of course, we have to be careful not to have people just be entitled to us being masochistic people that tear ourselves to shreds. It's not talking about that. It's, it's about being other-centered, gracious, compassionate, kind, gentle, all these things. So I think a community that fosters true belonging, true community, requires constant change from everybody. Constant. A constant self-reflection. Because I think that's what love does. So this means that the second you stop changing is the second this is the second that you stop coming closer. It's the second that you begin to distance yourself. You go, mm, okay, I'll change a little bit. Okay, that's not too bad. And yeah, I'll do that one. And then like, you know what? No. You know what? Nope. That's too much. I'm not changing anymore for any of you. I'm not bending anymore. You might have great reasons. There's a lot of great reasons to stop bending, to stop changing, to stop looking at the own pride in your heart, to, to have a million reasons not to be compassionate again, not to forgive again. You can make great cases. And we do. Like, yeah, I'm done with that. Like, I'm going to stay in the church, but those, I'm, not, I'm done with that. I'm done with that person, at least. Well, what did we just, what did we just do? What did, we, what did we just betray? So, of course, we're not talking about remaining in abusive situations. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But when it comes to our responsibility to be, like, uh, image bearers of who Jesus was to the world, I mean, the Bible says they're going to know who, they're going to know that, that Jesus is the Messiah because of our unity. I should have put that verse in here, which just came to mind. They're going to know that, 
that Jesus must be Lord because those people shouldn't be unified and they shouldn't forgive each other and they shouldn't be that compassionate. They shouldn't be that gentle. They shouldn't bend again to include people that are that different. It's a dramatic call. So the second we stop changing and there's a second that we begin to distance ourselves from other people, but here's the real kicker, is it's also the same instant that you stop being renewed in the knowledge of the image of your creator. And that's the real shame, is the unity in the church is an absolute miracle. The fact that it's supposed to be built on diversity is a dumb plan. And God chose to display the fullness of his love and authority and perfection through a group of people called the church who only by a miraculous level of Christ-centeredness empowered by his spirit is the only possible explanation for it. What a a fantastic plan. So as we remain in community and as we uh, continue to work through all of these different levels that it costs us, we are being renewed in the knowledge of the image of our creator. And we know more and more what true life is, what we were truly called to be, the level of uh, security in God that we were always meant to have. Like this is how he teaches us. He teaches us by putting us in the middle of an infinitely complex group of people and goes, be unified there. It's gonna be a miracle if you do. You're gonna need me for this one. And I love that we have this call. So community helps us continually be refined into Christ's image. What a gift you and I are to each other. What a gift that he would not just abandon us to like books in a library of learning about who he is and then we have to work really hard at displaying him to others. It's like, no, just, just be in community. Remain in it. Remain there. Remain in the tension of it all. Include others. Don't, don't build wall, don't like get to a size where, you, don't get to a certain size and then build walls and like seal it off and go, okay, we've done, we're done changing. We're done changing now. We can, we, can, we can bar the doors. We're all here. We're good. No, and churches have done this a lot. I get why. It's comfy. I like you all. Other people might ruin this. Let's keep reading. We're almost done. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. There's an image that I think this is the image that I that I'll remember most from, from Israel when, when we went. Is the word for peace in the Bible is shalom. And uh, uh, shalom is a super complicated word. We, we say peace, it means so much more. Shalom means so much more. They like greet each other with that word. But the way that our guide explained it, and it's also the way that the Bible Project video explains it too, which is kind of cool, is that... Sh- uh, He's like, here's the best way I can explain shalom to you. Shalom is like a brick. And it's a brick, it's a, it's a no, no. Shalom is like a rock <laughs> that, that then it gets shalomed with all these different sides. Like it gets shalomed into a brick and then it gets shalomed into a wall. You're like, what does... Peace is like way down here. And he's like, no, shalom is a rock in a field and, it, and it's dead and it's laying in a field that it has no purpose. But a living stone gets shalomed into the kingdom. 
and it has to be chiseled and carved and refined. And then, so when, when, when Paul is saying, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. You were called to shalom. You were called to unity. You were called to building this kingdom where everybody fits in this perfect way. But the level of chiseling required to be from a dead stone to a living stone, well, that's a little painful. But let's let the shalom of Christ rule in our hearts and be thankful for the chiseling that it takes to fit. That's profound. And the more edges that you have, fun fact about, you know, this image, and this is what Paul's thinking of when he's saying this, the more edges a stone has, the more important it is in the building. So if you got like a, if a seven-sided stone means it's where the roof meets the wall meets the arch, you know, and it's got all these fun edges. And when he was showing us, is like, this was a really complicated stone. And you're looking at it, and it looks like a, you know, it's like a hexagon of a stone. You're like, wow, this must have been in a really prominent place where all the arches met. And you're like, that's, and you look at like, that would have taken forever to make that stone. And yet look at all that it supports. And then God goes, hey, hey, come be refined by me and all the people around you. Come be chiseled, come, come fit so that you, I can build my kingdom on you, with you, by you, for you. Let's do this together. It's a beautiful image. So, the more edges you have, the more crucial the stone, the more refining it takes. Verse 16. This is, this is my favorite sentence in this whole chunk. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Isn't that cool? Like, just think about that sentence for a second. Let the message of Christ dwell, dwell among you. That's so, oh, I could think about that forever. So what's the message of Christ? Well, I mean, it would take 10 sermons to, you know, the message of Christ. All right, pause, new series. But um, whatever you've, you have a general understanding, maybe. But let that message be reflected in your relationships. Let it dwell among you richly. Let, the, let the, that Philippians 2, uh, let others, consider others better than yourselves, uh, be, be humble unto death and obedience. Like, let that be the substance and source and, and driving force of your unity. Let it dwell among you richly. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to, the, to God the Father through him. So guys, in conclusion, I think having a relational rhythm of community is having a rhythm of letting the message of Christ dwell among us, of, uh, of having a rhythm of going, what do I need to know? What, what aspect of the gospel is required right now for my level of connection and unity? Do I need him for this? Or is everybody just the same as me enough these days? Have I found a place that's, that's with enough people like me right now? So uh, for those of you that are, that are new around here, if you're looking for belonging in a new community, <laughs> this is funny advice. You're going to find this in the welcome class. Let yourself bend. Maybe you will. Matt, you can mention this in the welcome class. Bend until you break. <laughs> that's, our, <laughs> that's our welcome class intro. But here's what you'll find. Here's what you find is that eventually, if you bend, if you bend enough and you go, grace, uh, the message of Christ is going to dwell right here. 
And it's going to dwell right here again, again, same week, again, I need Jesus here again. And we learn how to have it dwell among us richly. And we bend and we bend and we bend, and all of a sudden something snaps. And I think it's our pride. Eventually our pride goes, you know what, I'm going to stop fighting for this thing. And I think this is the journey of discipleship. And it happens over and over and over again. And I think God is so committed toward the death of our pride because it's the only thing separating you and I from him ultimately. It's the rulership of our lives. And he goes, trust me, unto death of your pride, I'm going to place you in a place that's going to need your pride to die. You're so welcome. So if you're new here, probably the main thing that this church can offer you, and hopefully, hopefully any church, is the ability to require... Jesus to be Lord of your life to stay. That's probably the main thing that gets, maybe there'll be a good sermon or two every now and again, some good classes. And, but probably the primary thing is that you get to learn how to love some people. And maybe, maybe you're in a different camp, maybe you're still here. Maybe you're in a different group of people, maybe you're still here. And you've been bending and snapping for years. Uh, To you, I said, well done. Well done. And I can't can't promise anything. I can't promise earthly recognition. I can't promise all the best friends your heart longs for. But I can promise that your Father in Heaven is proud of you for building his kingdom and letting yourself be refined and giving again. And he's really proud of you. And I look around the room and I think this is what the kingdom is built on. It's people who are really truly serving him and have learned what humility really is. And I would say to you, like Paul said to the Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. I don't know what the harvest is. That part's not up to me. But maybe the only harvest is that God would be so gracious to you as to give you the opportunity to learn what it means to be in community and to have a rhythm of knowing what pursuing that is like and what that feels like and what it costs and the beauty of it. I think it's worthwhile. And I think it's worthwhile to displace the world what community and unity is built on, what it's substantiated in, the miracle that it takes every single time. Man, I wish I could go around the room and say names and just thank you all for teaching me what it takes to be a Christian and to be in community and to display Jesus to the world. So church, may we grow in numbers and in depth only as a result of continually letting ourselves be renewed in the beautiful, perfect image of our creator. Let us be renewed in that Let our hearts be gripped by the idea of displaying Jesus to the world. And then if you grow in numbers, great. If we grow in depth, awesome. But that's our heart's cry. Lord, is our church reflecting Jesus? Are my relationships reflecting you? Is my community built on something far greater than my own needs? What I'd like to do is, uh, Noah and Sam, you guys can come up. Um, but uh, I was reading First Peter just in 
you know, following Bible verses on similar themes. And I came across 1 Peter 2, and what I thought would be fun is, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I just changed it from into the first person to make it a prayer between us and God. I think that's allowed. I only changed I's and U's and me's, so. Um, but what I want to do is I just want to pray this out. And if this is a, a prayer of your heart, then you can pray that along with me. But it's a prayer of mine. <clears throat> to this I am called, because you suffered for me, Lord, leaving me an example that I should follow in your steps. You committed no sin, and no deceit was found in your mouth. When they hurled their insults at you, you did not retaliate. When you suffered, you made no threats. Instead, you entrusted yourself to your Father who judges justly. You yourself bore my sin and your body on the cross so that I might die to sins and live for righteousness. By your wounds, I have been healed, for I was like a sheep going astray, but now I have returned to you, the shepherd of my soul. Lord, thank you that you are our shepherd and we get to return to you. Lord, thank you that you call us to serve you. Lord, thank you that our, all of our recognition, it's enough to be recognized by you. And Father, I pray that you would give us the gift of a deep community that's centered in who you are. I pray that you would stitch us together and unite us in a way that just being the same or thinking the same never could. Would you use our relationships to teach us more about you, to teach us more about your image? And would you refine us into your image again, Lord? Today, we choose to be refined into your image. Teach us more about your beauty. Teach us more about how amazing you are through this amazing thing called church. And Lord, I ask that as we do and as we, as, we, as we remain and as we have faith, that we would display all of who you are to the world around us. Father, may we not fall short of this glorious purpose that we have where people look and go, that doesn't make sense. Lord, I pray that my community would not make sense. I pray that it would be indescribable, ununderstandable without your gospel, un ununderstandable without a work of relational grace that's only possible by your spirit. Lord, would your spirit have your way in and amongst us? Would your message dwell among us richly? And Father, if there's forgiveness that needs to happen, would we go first? Father, I pray that we would bend until our pride snaps. Lord, bring us into relationship with you at all costs to ourselves. We're so desperate for salvation. We're desperate to be discipled, to be made into your image. Thank you for the example that you set. We're so grateful. We just get to look to you and do what you did. Empower us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh -huh.